You know, Christmas is really the story of uh, the birth of a baby. And uh, I suppose we all respond uh, differently to stories about babies being born. My wife Sherry is a nurse. She's working in a hospital and labor and delivery uh, department. So she has stories about babies being born all the time. What you need to know about me is that uh, while as in my job as lead pastor, I hear stories of hurt and pain and even suffering all the time. Most of the time, that's not really physical suffering that I hear stories about. And uh, maybe I deal better with stories about, you know, people hurting uh, spiritually or on the inside when that pain doesn't uh, come out through, like, bodily fluids and stuff. Uh, For instance, my youngest daughter got hurt the other day. She was playing. Something hit her in the head. She started, you know, she came up the stairs. She was bleeding. Uh, My response was, Sherry, she's bleeding. You should do something about that, you know, take take care of that. I suppose if I was, if push came to shove, I would help my daughter. But it's not, you know, I don't get into that stuff too awful much. Sherry and I used to watch the TV show ER. Anybody, I'm old, I remember that show. But I used to turn my head, you know, I just can't take it too much. So when she comes home with stories, sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't know. We were eating lunch one day, and Sherry's telling me this story. She said, something happened at work, and it's so cool. I said, really, what happened? She said, well, the, the w- mom was giving birth to baby, and there were some complications, and I'm like, it's not cool yet. You know, that's not cool. And she said, well, they decided they were going to have to do an emergency C-section, and so they start to do that. And it was in sort of the middle of the whole birthing process. So the nurse, I, I don't, this is like too graphic for me. You guys are going to handle it better than I do, okay? So just deal with it with me. Nurse had to push baby back in. And the doctor's doing the surgery to pull baby out. And in the middle of this procedure, Sherry said, it was so cool because nurse is pushing baby in and doctor is pulling baby out. And as they're doing this, their hands touched. The story's not cool yet. (laughs) And we're having lunch. No, that's enough. We all respond to stories about babies being born differently, and Christmas is is really the story of a baby being born, and I suppose we have the opportunity to respond differently to that story, but I think in Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses, as we kind of come to the end of the birth story, all right, we're actually going to encounter Jesus as closer to a toddler than an infant at this point. But I think we'll learn from this story about some visitors coming to, uh, to visit Jesus, uh, about three appropriate responses we can have, how we can as- really respond in the way God would have us respond to the story of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the first 12 verses of of Matthew chapter 2, and uh, I I think it teaches us three responses, sort of three three components of the one right response to, to the story of Jesus being born to Christmas. Matthew, the second chapter, 
verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start reading. We'll read the first 12 verses here in Matthew, the second chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, uh, they replied, for this is where the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, I think this story teaches us uh, three responses to, uh, to the Christmas story, to Jesus being born. Response number one is no matter your relationship to him, all right, everybody in this room is in a different place in our relationship with Jesus. But no matter where you are on that journey, continue to seek Jesus out. No matter your relationship to him, continue to seek Jesus out. Verse 1 says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We just sort of get the setting for our story and our response to Jesus being born. Traditionally, we sort of smoosh the Christmas story together. And, and uh, we read the story of the Magi visiting in, in chapter 2 of Matthew right after we read about Jesus being born at the end of chapter 1 in Matthew. And we sort of smoosh this story together with the, the angels in the sky and the shepherds going to visit uh, that night Jesus was born. And, and we assume, we kind of read it like these wise men show up as soon as the shepherds leave. And in my mind, I sort of see it playing out like a couple of people visiting somebody in the hospital. One person's in the room and they leave and the next person comes in. Well, that's probably, and that's not, what's going on here. And the, the wise men, these magi, uh, traveled from a great distance, and they arrive uh, later in the day. You know, we place all the figures in the nativity, and we put them all together. Maybe you've heard of families that will sort of put the wise men at other places in their house, or they keep them back, and then they, they bring the wise men out later. And that's sort of to illustrate the idea that, hey, this group of travelers, this group of scholars showed up later than the, the shepherds. That they didn't come on that night when Jesus was born. And in fact, it, it's probably up to two years later that the, that the magi show up uh, in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. It's kind of important that we have just a little bit of background information about this guy as well. King Herod plays a, an important role here. And, and Herod was a self-absorbed leader, fascinated 
with building things. There's probably a joke that fits here somewhere, but I don't, I don't really have one. You can fill in your own. Herod was a prototypical political fence-sitter. He was a descendant of the Edomites, and so just culturally and sort of uh, ethnically, he didn't fit in exactly with the Jews. The Jews sort of didn't really consider him Jewish, and so they tended to, based even more so on his actions, but even based on his uh, uh, ethnic background, they sort of disassociated with Herod. They didn't want much to do with him. They didn't like him. And he would have his ups and downs with Rome. He would sort of fall in and out of favor with Rome. And so consequently, uh, he, it placed him sort of just on the fence on all kinds of issues. He tried to play both sides and, and ended up with not many people really relishing him as a leader. Nobody really fell in line with Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These magi were, uh, we get our English word magic from the word magi, and they were certainly interested in uh, sort of magic and uh, cult-like stuff, but they weren't just involved in that. They were much more than magicians. They were really the scholars of the day. They studied everything from astronomy and astrology, yes, to medicine, math, the natural sciences. They were, they were interested in all sorts of things. These were the descendants of the wise men that we read about in the book of Daniel. You remember when Daniel and, and other uh, Jews were carried into captivity in Babylon, and, and uh, the, you know, the king brings out all of his wise men to try to interpret his dream. Well, those wise men were magi. And so these are the guys who kind of find their lineage from that. And they probably trace their interest in, in Hebrew literature all the way back to Daniel and the Babylonian captivity. So they came to visit Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. They, they decide to come, and they rightly decide to stop in Jerusalem and ask about the king of the Jews. This is the, this is the place, the capital city. It's the religious center of the Jews, and so it makes so much sense to stop and ask about where this new king would be born in Jerusalem. We, we probably shouldn't understand their desire uh, to worship Jesus as total devotion to this one true God. They, they were influenced by all sorts of things, but in the same way, we also shouldn't underestimate their interest and we shouldn't underestimate their devotion to this idea. idea. They did, after all, uh, have enough respect to make this trip and to travel this distance all to see uh, this new king. I, was, I stopped one day uh, at at the quick trip just this last week or, or so towards the beginning of the week for a, you know, a Diet Coke, and I'm back there filling up my Diet Coke, and, and this guy is, is getting a drink, and, and he's talking on the cell phone, and so I overheard his conversation, and he's talking on his cell phone, and he said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it on Christmas. He said, it's an awfully long drive. You know, it takes an hour and 10 minutes to get there. He said, if mom will throw me some gas money, then I can make the trip. Now, granted, I'm eavesdropping on this guy's conversation, right? I'm in, I'm in the wrong already, so I'm just going to go in with both feet, you know? 
And I think, come on, dude. Like, I don't know his situation. I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know where he's at financially or relationally with his mom. I don't know any of that. I don't have any idea what's going on. But I'm thinking, it's your mom. And it's an hour away. You know, it's 50 miles. That's like a quarter of a tank of gas, right? Put a little gas in your car and go see your mother. You know, the guy wasn't devoted enough, seemingly, to that relationship. Or maybe he's just really cheap. (laughs) Excuse me, I probably shouldn't have been talking about this guy. (laughs) To go visit his mom. Well, these magi were devoted enough to this idea, this concept, to this new king. They were interested enough in who he was and what he would do, that they traveled this great distance, that they spent an extraordinary amount of time researching this, and that they, they would stop and ask, hey, where is this new king at? We want to find him. We want to worship him. Verse 3 says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. That's probably just the perfect word to describe Herod, disturbed. By this point, he was already physically and mentally ill. Uh, Herod was a guy who was suffering from all kinds of diseases uh, that we won't go into because I don't handle that stuff well, right? Pretty gross stuff. He was mentally ill as well. At the very least, he was, he was that political fence-sitter who was just super paranoid by this point. And so when this group of scholars show up asking about a new king, that just fueled the paranoia and sent him over the edge. All of Jerusalem disturbed with him because when this guy got disturbed, bad things happened. This was a political leader who would kill family members to retain power. And if some, so if somebody was claiming to be a new king, I mean, he would go to great ends to make sure that he held on to that power. So it makes a ton of sense that everyone else would be disturbed with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He calls together the chief priests, the religious leaders, and they know where to look in Scripture. And they find him the answer that the new king, this Messiah, will be born in, in the tiny village of Bethlehem, sort of down the hill from from Jerusalem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So we have sort of three different groups of people here in these first eight verses who are all have who all have this sort of different relationship with this new baby who was born, uh, this new baby who would be king, this new baby who would be Messiah. They all sort of have different relation, relationships. The Magi are, are sort of intellectually interested in who this new king is. And they, at the very least, want to satisfy that intellectual hunger. They want to have some answers to their questions. And so they went to great lengths to, to fill in the blanks to receive those answers. They went to great lengths financially and with their time and their resources and with their energy to pursue answers to those intellectual questions. 
We have King Herod who wants to find Jesus, albeit because he has some ulterior motives. He wants to do away with this new king. He wants to protect his power. And so he, he wants to seek out Jesus in order to eliminate Jesus. That's frightening. But maybe the most frightening to me would be the religious leaders of the day. Because they show up. They show up when King Herod calls and says, tell me about this king. Tell me about Messiah. Where is he going to be born? And they know exactly where to find the answers. They've done the research. They've sort of, they're sort of at the other end of the spectrum from the Magi. The Magi are seeking these answers to questions. They need this intellectual property that the religious leaders already have. The deal is that the intellectual property ought to change how these folks act. And it seems, we don't really know, because Scripture doesn't tell us, but they sort of show up, and then we don't hear about them again. There's going to be a group of people that leave Herod's palace to go find Jesus. And it's not the chief priests and the religious leaders. It's the magi. And as I read about these and thought about these groups of people, you know, I just couldn't help but think, who do I most closely resemble? And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves this morning. As we consider the, this first response to Christmas, that no matter where we are in our relationship with him, we ought to continue to seek him. And just ask yourself, you know, do I resemble the Magi? Do I have real sort of questions that don't make sense in my mind? And my heart and my mind are sort of struggling with these questions. Am I a person that, that I, I'm struggling so much with those questions that I've sort of gone the other way and I'm here this morning because, you know, grandma wanted me, me to be here or mom wanted me to be here and, and I want Christmas to be peaceful and, and happy and so I'm sitting here, but I'm thinking this doesn't really matter. And, and do I most closely resemble, uh, you know, King Herod? I, 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 I hear this story, but I'm just going to throw it away. Or do I fit with the religious leaders? You know, I've got all the Sunday school stories handled. I've got them nailed. I can answer all of the questions. And I'm not, I'm not letting that, that intellectual knowledge make the, you know, 18-inch trip to my heart and to my spirit and to move my life. You know, no matter where we are, the wonderful and most and amazing thing about our God, the amazing thing about Christmas, is that Jesus invited them all. Everybody, come investigate. Figure it out. The Magi leave the palace and they follow the star and they end up worshiping the new king. Herod will chase after Jesus, and even Herod, Jesus would invite to investigate. Even if you're a person who says, I, I'm a skeptic, I don't believe it, I doubt it. Uh, membership roles of the church are filled with folks who set out to disprove Jesus and realized that, man, maybe some of my questions have been answered. He invites you in to, to investigate to search for him, to figure it out, to see. Don't just, don't just throw the story away. Decide for yourself. 
if Christmas is really Christmas. And some of us, we've heard the story and we know the answers. And we've just sort of not been doing much with it. And I'd encourage you this morning to decide to, to really continue to seek Jesus out and to put that story and those answers into action. Every one of us, Matthew 2 teaches us that God loves us so much and he wants you, no matter your relationship with him right now, to know him more. Response number one is no matter where we are, to continue to seek him out. Response number two is to really worship him. Look how the, the magi respond as they go and find Jesus. Verse 9 says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Uh, I, I had a friend who said via tweet recently that even the wise men had to stop and ask directions. That they had to stop in Jerusalem and they had, to, they had to find out where this Savior was born. And he was partially right. That's exactly what happens in the story, isn't it? But he was sort of making the point that, you know, God, you, you kind of have to go halfway and figure this out with God. And, and he, I, I sort of understand what he's trying to say, except that God doesn't leave us there. God didn't leave the Magi in Jerusalem. You know, he, he sort of made the inference, at least, that the star was just showed up in Jerusalem. That's not what happened. You know, they left Jerusalem, and God continued to guide them. No matter where you are in that relationship, in that journey with Jesus, I promise you that if you continue to seek him, God will help you, and he'll continue to direct you. That when you dive in and search out his word, something is going to come from that study and that, that consuming of God's word. I absolutely believe that his spirit is going to lead you and that God will continue to work through you. And that's what happened with the Magi is that he continued to guide them until the star stopped where the child was. When they saw the star, when they saw the star, verse 10 says, they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Man, I thought about that this week, and, and I went back to it even this morning, thinking about verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I bet your morning has been kind of busy. You know, maybe you were up early. Maybe you had to f put the finishing touches, you know, in our house it was cinnamon rolls and, and sausage balls for breakfast, had to put that together before, is that what you guys had? See, yeah, Merry Christmas, right? Had to put that together, you're kind of peeking at your watch, maybe me more than other people, but I kept looking at the clock. We got to do Christmas, but we got to do it on a schedule. <laughs> well, we got places to be. And so maybe this morning was busy, and maybe you spent so much time and energy making it just so. Maybe it went that way, maybe it didn't. You had to put everything together and then slick back the kid's hair and head out the door, and you're here right now. My prayer for each of us this morning, that in the midst of sort of the, the rush, uh, the hurry, to have a holiday, that we would stop and we would hear the story. That we would stop and we would just think about a God who leaves paradise, who enters this world as a baby, 
who grows up, who, who provides. He, he feeds 5,000 people at one time. He, he heals the sick. He, he teaches about the kingdom of God and how we are invited to be a part of that kingdom, a part of that family, a part of that team. He goes so far to make sure that we don't get cut from the team that he would humble himself even to death on a cross. And his story doesn't end in martyrdom. His story doesn't end with death on a cross or buried in a tomb, but he rose on the third day, ascended to the right hand of God, all promising to return, to include us in his family, in his presence for all of eternity. And some of us this last year have had a difficult year. Some of us in 2016 have lost loved ones that we miss. And that hurt is felt especially deep, deeply at Christmas, on this day. Because one less stocking is hung. Understand that the story of Christmas gives us great hope that when we say yes to Him, we can be reunited forever and ever and ever, that we will worship, that we will celebrate Christmas again together, that the party that, that's described in Scripture far exceeds the sausage balls, and they were pretty good, that we had this morning. They're way, way better. And when we hear this story, just take a minute, take a minute, and be overjoyed. Rest in the moment. Stop and hear the songs. They were overjoyed, and they worshiped him in verse 11. Uh, uh, when on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These valuable gifts they brought, and they gave to this new king and as worship to him. They bowed down, they worshipped, and they shared their resources and their talents in worshipping with him. Uh, we can continue to worship him in our everyday lives and, and just to share the resources that he's, he's given us to manage. Uh, you know, we've, we've been doing this walk to the manger offering all month long, and, and uh, this is another year where I wasn't sure how that was going to go. We've, we've, uh, Wallula's generosity just continues to amaze me, and I, you know, I know you guys are sharing what God has given you to manage and making a difference in people's lives, really reaching out to the least of these in our community that Jesus asks us to do, and that's, that's real worship. That's real worship. Uh, it's important to gather together here, and it's important to lift high the name of Jesus and to acknowledge him as Lord together with our voices. But when our, when our actions match those words, man, that is worship that is powerful and meaningful and makes a difference in the kingdom. 
You know, there are opportunities for you to serve uh, here at Wallula, and, and maybe you think that there's, 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 there's spots that don't need to be filled, but don't let, don't let that fool you. There's opportunities to, to lead in worship and to serve in the kids' ministry and student ministries, to, to help with those third Thursday meals or the shelter or with the banquet ministry and all the stuff that goes on throughout the week, the, the helping ministry. And there, there's too many to name, but every one of those teams can use uh, more folks to help them serve. And, and when we do that, that's real worship. That's providing, you know, the gift, the only commodity that we can't get more of. When we give time, man, how meaningful is that? You know, the second response is that we really ought to worship Him this Christmas. The third response just sort of follows straight, straight along. It, it, it really, we, we could have filled it in, I suppose, because when we really worship Him, we're obeying Him. In verse 12, uh, the, the Magi, the Scripture says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They obeyed God, and sometimes obeying God means, you know, sort of disobeying or disacknowledging the culture around us or what's going on around us. Sometimes the crowd isn't right. Sometimes we have to stand up for what God would have us do, and we have to obey Him all in love for sure, leading first with grace. But just like the Magi ignored Herod and listened to God, we need to obey him in our, in our lives as we really worship him together. Christmas, it's, it's about, you know, babies being born and, and presents being given, this gift of Jesus. Last, uh, last year, my daughter Lacey, she wanted a basketball goal for Christmas because she was playing basketball and... She needed practice. So she wanted a basketball goal for Christmas. And uh, that, that's the one kind of big thing she had, she had been hoping for at Christmas. And Christmas morning, we're unwrapping presents. And she came to one box, and she said, I don't think there's anything. This doesn't feel like there's anything in it. Huh? And she opened it up, and it's a basketball goal, right? And, uh, you know, I'm just not, we're, we're not sly and sneaky, I guess. So what we had done is we'd, with a basketball goal was outside. That's where basketball goals go. And we placed a picture of the basketball goal, printed out, this is what it is, and put it in the box. And so there's literally a piece of paper in the box. She opens the present, and she pulls out this piece of paper, and she, she doesn't inspect it closely, and she begins to tear up. It was really the saddest thing I've seen on Christmas morning. She thinks she's got this piece of paper, like, we love you, <laughs> hugs for Christmas, you know, some of you, anyway, so she thought that, you know, she's worried, and I, I understand. And we say, honey, no, that's a basketball goal. You go look outside, it's a basketball goal. You, you know, we'll put it up, and yay, Christmas. <laughs> and we learned a lesson that sometimes the best gifts come in sort of unexpected packages. We, we don't expect that uh, the best things to sort of be in that box, or that's how Christmas is, for sure. Jesus shows up, and nobody expected Messiah to look like that. You know, nobody expected this to be how God fulfills that promise. But he did, and no matter where we're at with him, uh, we, can, we can continue to seek him, and we can really worship. We can obey him 
with all that we are this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Father God, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Uh, God, I, I just pray that in my relationship with you, that I would continue to seek after you, that I would, I would take the sort of intellectual answers that I have, and I'd allow them to move those 18 inches to my heart. And then I'd allow that, that, that change that your Spirit is making in me to come out in the words that I say and the, the choices that I make, that I would really worship you with my thoughts and my conversations and my actions. God, help me to continue and help each of us to continue to obey you more and more. God, we know that when we really worship you in this way, when we lead in love as we seek after you, that we can grow your kingdom, that we can, we can increase the RSVP on the, on the greatest celebration in all of eternity. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for Christmas. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon. I should mention that next Sunday is, if you do the math, it's New Year's Day. And we'll do one service on New Year's Day as well. So 1030 on New Year's Day. We love you. We'll see you soon. Merry Christmas.